of y'all to attend. A quick update on my veteran that I've been looking after for a few years. Uh, a couple of months ago, he had a, a, a serious episode. We put him in the hospital, but he is, he is in the nursing home down at Pruitt now, and he is doing great. Uh, that's just a, a blessing in disguise for, for he and myself. Uh, uh, of course, I can't see him, can't talk to him, uh, but uh, I do get word to him and uh, check on him. And uh, uh, a worker down there even shared with somebody that I know that how pleasant he is, how he's interacting with other people. Uh, doesn't give him any trouble whatsoever, and that's how he was before he started getting sick. I just thought I'd update you on that. Uh, going to be reading the Beatitudes from uh, Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let us pray. Our kind and merciful Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this day. We just lift up all of those who were mentioned that uh, need prayer today, Father, and we just ask if it be your will that you'll Heal them, and uh, you'll place your hand on all those who are hurting, Father. We just thank you so much for our church family. We thank you so much for Neil and for Bryson and for our Sunday school teachers and what they do, Father, just uh, bringing the word to us each and every Sunday and Wednesdays and uh, any other time that we have a service, Father. We're just so thankful for that. Now, we just ask that you uh, be with this church family. We just ask that you be with us wherever we go and always let us, the, the things that we do, always let us do them according to your will. If this we ask in Jesus Christ's name, amen. amen. Good morning. We're going to begin worship this morning with singing Open the Eyes of My Heart. Open the 
would be thou my vision. Father God, Lord, thank you so much for allowing us to come into your house and worship this morning, God. Lord, I pray that our eyes will be open to see you today, God, and that our uh, minds will be clear <clears throat> and that our hearts will also be open to receive, God. Lord, open our eyes and reveal to us um, just the woes in our life, God, and also the blessings, Lord. And um, this week, God, just <clears throat> be with us in all that we do, God. Lord, let us... Um, find confidence and security in your wisdom that always goes beyond our understanding, God. Um, and Lord, I just, I love that hymn, Lord, um, just riches we'd heed not, nor man's empty praise, God. Lord, may it be um, you and only you that we um, strive to please this week, God. Lord, um, will you just use each and every one of us, Lord, even though we're so unworthy, God, yet you still see it fit, God, um, to use us. Lord, just have your way and be with us as we um, open your word and study, God. Lord, I love you and praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. <clears throat> you may be seated. Amen. As, as Catherine mentioned in her prayer, there are woes and there are blessings. Turn to Luke chapter 11 as we continue our sermons through Luke's gospel. 
Uh, today, Jesus is going to diagnose the Pharisees. He is the light of the world. And he talked last week about how if our eye is good, if he is our vision, then our whole life will be illumined. Uh, not only will we be letting light in from Christ by walking with him and listening to his word and his wisdom, sharing his love, the ways we talked about that we let the light in, then we too, being full of light, will become a light to others to guide them to Christ also. So all of this is connected. And, and what I encourage you to do is, you know, through the week, read through this and connect it because Luke is building on something that ultimately leads to the cross and the resurrection as he shares with us the ministry and the teachings of, teachings of Christ. But we're in Luke 11. I'm going to begin with verse 37 to make a connection to where we closed last week. As he enters the house of a Pharisee, and that creates a conversation. In fact, some believe that Jesus did this intentionally to create this conversation with this Pharisee. Now, I want you to notice what Jesus did. We referred to it last week, but we're going to expound on it a little this morning. Luke chapter 11, six woes to the Pharisees. Six woes to the Pharisees. But the good news is that I find in this also six blessings that Jesus is to us. So when he had spoken about being the light and your eye needing to be clear and healthy to, to be able to see the light. and So all this is in connection with what he was saying. A Pharisee asked him to have lunch with him, and he went in and he reclined at the table. When the Pharisee saw it, he was surprised that Jesus had not first, quote, ceremonially washed before the meal. Now, this was not in God's law. This was an extra law, an extra rule that the Pharisees had placed on this mealtime experience. So that's what the debate is. The debate is, is did, did Jesus just, you know, neglect to do this, Or did he intentionally not do this to get to what we're going to get to this morning? So the Pharisee was shocked that Jesus didn't wash his hands before the meal. But in verse 39, the Lord said to him, and here's the opportunity for teaching and exposure. The great physician diagnoses the Pharisees. And he says, you Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but inside of you, inside of you, you are full of robbery and wickedness. You foolish ones, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give, give that which is within his charity, and then all things will be clean for you. So if your heart and life is transformed to where you become a giver of love, then everything's cleared up. But that was just the beginning of the message. Look at verse 42. Then he starts these woes. As Howard Scarborough said to me, woe to the woes. <laughs> woe, right? We need to take heed, take warning. Woe to you Pharisees, verse 42, for you pay tithe of mint and rue and every kind of garden herb, and yet you disregard justice and the love of God. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. 
Woe to you, Pharisees! You love the front seats in the synagogues and the respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like concealed tombs. The people who walk over them are unaware of it. One of the lawyers said to him in reply, "What, Teacher, wait! When you say this, you are also insulting us. Notice what Jesus doesn't do. Jesus doesn't say, oh, well, I'm sorry for insulting you also. (laughs) Well, he just continues to pour it on. And he says, woe to you, lawyers, as well, for you weigh men down with burdens hard to bear, while you yourselves, listen to this phrase, will not even touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you. For you build the tombs of the prophets, and it was your fathers who killed them. Consequently, you are witnesses and approve the deeds of your fathers, because it was they who killed them, and you build their tombs. In other words, you pretend to honor them, but you would have killed them, given the opportunity. For this reason, look at verse 49, very interesting verse. For this reason also, the wisdom of God said... Notice that in God's wisdom, God planned, and in his sovereign providence, God laid this out. God says, quote, I will send to them prophets and apostles, and some of them they will kill, and some of them they will persecute. In order that the blood of all the prophets shed since the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. And Jesus is just heaping guilt after guilt upon guilt on these Pharisees and lawyers for, what, for who they are and for what they've done. Look at verse 51. From the blood of Abel, that's the very first murder, to the blood of Zechariah, which was not chronologically but recorded in the Old Testament scriptures, the last of the martyred prophets, And from beginning to end, verse 51, who perish between the altar and the house of God. Yes, I tell you, it shall be charged against this generation. So Jesus has taken the role of the great physician and the ultimate lawyer, and he's charging them with corruption and sin and guilt. Woe to you, lawyers, verse 52, for you have taken away the key of knowledge... You did not enter in yourselves, and those who were entering in you hindered. When he left there, the scribes and the Pharisees, they began to be very hostile and to question him closely on many subjects. Look at verse 54, plotting against him to catch him in something that he might say. Father, thank you for your word. It is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. I I pray, Lord, you'll help me teach it and preach it and help us all to listen and hear with ears to hear and and you would open up our minds and hearts to, as we sang, open the eyes of our heart, Lord, to understand it and see it and then to go out in life and live it and not be like Pharisees, hypocritical frauds but instead have your light in us to not only save us, but change us so that our light can truly 
shine before others as witnesses to you and your glory and to you and your grace. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Boy, behold the kindness and severity of God. We are so used to Jesus as the kind Jesus. And here we have the severe Jesus. Here we have the, the, the holy Jesus pronouncing judgments on his opponents. Now, I want to make a remark here that only Jesus is qualified to dish out this kind of judgment, right? I mean, he is, he is, he's not holding back anything. These are some very strong and weighty words. And the reason I say that is sometimes we think we want to take this role, and, and really my role this morning is, is like the mailman to just, hey, to just share the truth of the one who is qualified to know us and diagnose us and expose us. Because as I worked through this text personally this week and last week too, hey, let's be real. We got, we got a lot of Pharisee in us. God's still got a, a, a great work left to do in my life and in your life. And so we are both um, concerned and warned by the woes but then the good news is going to be, what a blessing Jesus is. He is such a contrast to the Pharisees, and we desperately need him to save us, to forgive us, to change us, so that we, instead of being like a Pharisee, we'll, we'll be like Jesus. But one thing I want you to notice is this whole thing, God is working from the inside out. The Pharisees, if we were to compare and contrast their where they were focused, contrasting to where Jesus is, they regularly emphasize the unimportant over the necessary. They regularly emphasize the rules rather than the relationship. They were focused always on the external rather than the internal, the physical rather than the spiritual, and the temporal rather than the eternal. And you and I have that same struggle as well. But one thing I notice is that Jesus, by going through that lack of ceremonial washing, he started this whole thing off by saying, it's inside of you. What matters most is what's going on inside of you. I thought about something I referenced several months ago. Do y'all remember that old horror film where... The babysitter's on the phone. She's calling the police. They're trying to figure out where the calls are coming from. These spooky, creepy, threatening calls. And the police say, the calls are coming from inside the house. And I get goosebumps because you're like, oh no, the threat, the threat is not out there. The threat is inside. And that was the danger of the Pharisees, is that inside of them was wickedness and robbery, but they were so focused on the external. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to see how Jesus is the stark, complete, clear contrast to the Pharisee. He is the stark, complete contrast to the lawyers. These are the religious leaders who are the key opponents of Jesus. So there were six woes in the text... But I want to flip it, and I want to share with us six blessings that Jesus is. 
but I'm going to use the Pharisees as the, they're the bad side, they're the dark side, and obviously Jesus is the light, he's the, he's the good side. So let's work through it like this. Number one, Jesus is the Lord of justice. He's the Lord of justice. Now, when I was a kid, I grew up on Saturday mornings watching cartoons with these superheroes, and they all flew out of and met in the halls of justice. Do any of you remember that? So justice is a concept that we are familiar with and that we care about. But what was the problem with the Pharisees? They were under judgment because they were unjust. They were not just. Oh, they tithe on the details. And he mentions that in verse 42. Mint and rue and every kind of garden herb, it's almost like they had a microscope, all right? And every little grain of detail, man, they were keeping that little stuff. But Jesus says, you're straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. There's no justice in you. So what we could do, and I'm not going to do it, but if we went through the Old Testament and we looked at all the texts that talk about what God really cares about, he says to us, he sums it up, do justly, do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Sometimes we're so focused on the minute details. We're so focused on trees that we miss the forest. We're straining out gnats, but swallowing camels, Jesus said in Matthew 23, in a very similar sermon against the Pharisees. The weightier issue is justice. And what is justice? It's how we treat people. It's how we treat people. You're focused on these details, but do you see how you're treating people? All of us care about justice. We know it when we're little. We know it when we're big. You're not playing fair. Last night, Tennessee fans threw trash on the field because they said, that's not what? That's not right. Where do we get this sense of right and wrong? Where do we get this sense of justice and injustice? Jesus is calling the Pharisees to judgment, and he is pronouncing woe and judgment on them because they were so focused on the details. But in their life, there was no justice. They focused on the details because they wanted to feel self-righteous. They wanted to feel elite. They wanted to feel superior. They cared only about themselves and their image, and they neglected what Jesus called the weightier provisions of the law. Robbery, wickedness. Jesus says in Luke 16, they loved money more than they loved anything else. What a contrast Jesus is. He is justice, right? He demands justice. And his grace and his love will create justice in us so that because we've received mercy rather than justice, we want to treat other people the way God has treated us. But here's what I was going to say. If we go back to the Old Testament and we see what God cares about, we could, we could literally fill the hour with how often he says in the Old Testament, the orphans, 
the widows, the foreigners, the outcasts, the most vulnerable of society. Hey, we get in here and we preach our sermons. Man, I've got my notes typed up to the detail every week, and some of you are like, this is overkill. We sing our songs. But what God really cares about, and we give our money, we fill our backpacks. But that's actually doing justice, isn't it? Because look at where they go and look at what happens. I'm belaboring the point. I think you get it. That sometimes we get so caught up in the details of having the right image and looking the right way that we really don't look at our hearts and see, are we treating the most vulnerable around us with kindness and righteousness and fairness and justice? The Pharisees were majoring on the minors and they were completely missing the majors. And let's just say Jesus majored on the majors. This is what he says. You, you should do the main. Don't neglect. Don't neglect those things. Don't neglect the details. No, we want to get better in the details. But hey, don't miss that what God ultimately cares about. It's the, it's the love and the justice you come, come out of your heart and life with toward other people. i got to move on. Number two, Jesus is also the Lord of love. He is justice and he is love. That means that he is love, he demands love, and his grace will create love in those who trust in him. The other thing they they miss is, is, is they miss love. They love the wrong things. I was gonna say they were looking for love in all the wrong places, but I'm not I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> Just to keep you with me, right? Look at verse 42. They were disregarding justice, and what's the next phrase? The love of God. Jesus knew they really didn't love God. What's the great commandment? To love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love our neighbor as ourselves. They didn't have love for God, and they didn't have love for other people. So they were were completely missing the main command. What are we and who are we if we love everything else but don't love God? That's why we're here. Look at what he says they love in verse 43. There's a lot of me in this. You Pharisees, man, you love the front seats in the synagogue. (laughs) You love those respectful greetings in the marketplace. Hello, Pastor Neil. (laughs) You like to be in that pulpit. <laughs> and you go to your Facebook page and your Instagram account and you, you'd like to see how many likes you've gotten. <laughs> so you got to do this to yourself and I'm helping you. The attention and the respect from people, oh, it's so tempting, but what's the, what's the main thing? The main thing is that we would love God. And I'll venture to say, if what I'm doing in my study and my preaching and all the things, the religious activity that we do, if it's not increasing my love for God, then I've gone way. I'm like that train in my, I'm go, I've gone way off the rails. And that's what was going on with the Pharisees. Man, they, they looked good, they sounded good, they taught a good game. But man, Jesus, the great physician, he knew you really don't love God. 
But he's the Lord of love. And he is love. His meat was to do the will of the Father. He was completely one with the Father. He loved the Father and he loved others perfectly. Now the next thing, and I'm working through six of these. Number three, Jesus is Lord of humility. Meaning he is in direct contrast to their pride. The Pharisees were under judgment because of their pride. They tried to put themselves above other human beings. They tried to stand out as exceptions and to be elite. They're so full of self-importance and the essence of sin is to be curbed in on yourselves. They love the praise of men. But you get, look at what Jesus says. Inside of you is death. That's what he means by these unmarked graves. Matthew 23 is even clear. It says, you know, you're whitewashed tombs. You look really good on the outside, but inside they're dead men's bones. That's bad. That's death. That's corruption. So what's going on inside of us? Pride is the essence of selfishness and death. They were glory thieves, and his glory he will not give to another. So listen to Jesus. He is humble. He was the anti-Pharisee, the opposite of the Pharisees. He demands humility in us, and he creates humility in those who trust him. The most glorious of all beings humbled himself and became a servant. Unlike the Pharisees, he's Lord of humility. Number four, he's Lord of freedom. Notice what Jesus emphasizes. They placed unnecessary rules and regulations and burdens on people. They used the law to weigh people down so the common man could never feel as close to God as they were. And Jesus says, you're binding up heavy loads and you're putting them on people's backs. You're not setting people free. You're binding people with oppression. You're bullying people. You're oppressing people. You want to control people. And I see what a contrast Jesus is. He's, he's the Lord of freedom. He is free. He demands freedom. And His grace creates and gives freedom to those who trust in Him. Look at what He says in verse 46. You, you load people down, but you won't help them at all. Then he uses that phrase that I remember a couple of weeks ago. You will not even touch their burdens with one of your fingers. You won't even help people with a touch of a finger. And you know what I remember from the other week? Jesus, with the touch of a finger. Remember that, what he said? With the finger of God, I cast out this oppressive demon that's working in this man's life. What a gracious, powerful act that he sets the captives free from what burdens them. Their sin, their, their ailments, their disease, whatever it is this burden, Jesus sets people free. He was here to set free 
the prisoners and they were bound. We are bound by the law and sin and death and corruption and the curse of the fall of man. But he is the Lord of freedom. Bennett and I, a couple of weeks ago, I'm reliving a lot of my childhood through Bennett. All right? A couple of weeks ago, we watched the movie E.T. Remember E.T.? <laughs> the extraterrestrial. And I never saw E.T. I don't, I don't know what was wrong with me in the early 80s, but I, I didn't see E.T. But what got me to thinking about it, Joe, was somebody asked Steven Spielberg one time, why is it that in that movie, and this is going to sound weird, okay, but if you Google E.T. like Christ, it's interesting and strange to a degree, but if you watch that movie from a Christian perspective, a lot of the things that E.T. did are the exact same things that Jesus did. Rose from the dead. There's one scene where E.T. takes his finger and he reaches and he touches the little boy Elliot where Elliot has cut his finger. E.T. reaches out and with his finger, kind of reminiscent of the Sistine Chapel ceiling, reaches out and with his finger he touches and he heals little Elliot's cut. I'm like, wow, you know, that's so cool. You know, it reminded me of something my wife said a few weeks ago about the gospel. She said, there's really only one story. And that story is ingrained in all of us. Now, whether Spielberg intentionally or or unintentionally created a story that reminds people of Jesus, my point is that ultimately ingrained in us is this need to be set free and that all of us have ingrained within us this desire to be set free from our oppression and there's one and only one who sets the captives free from sin, from death, from the law. He says, come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says from the cross, it is finished. He fulfills the law on our behalf perfectly and righteously. Then he dies on our behalf so that we can be set free from the penalty of the law. He is the Lord of freedom. That was number four. Number five, he is the Lord of sacrifice. He is the Lord of sacrifice, meaning Jesus is sacrificial. He demands sacrifice and he creates and gives A sacrificial heart to those who trust in Him. Here's the point. The Pharisees were under God's judgment because they pretended to honor the prophets. Oh, they had these ceremonies where they honored the prophets and they created these memorials. They didn't care about the prophets. In fact, they would have killed the prophets to look out for themselves, to save themselves and their own skin. Just like Abel was killed, just like Zacharias was killed, anyone that challenged them and called them to change or called them to account, they kill them first. Why so much bloodshed? Look at verses 50, 51. The blood of all the prophets. The blood of Abel. The blood of Zechariah. The blood between the altar and the house of God. Isn't that interesting? 
I think it's clear where this story's going. Where's this going? Jesus, like all the other prophets, is going to be killed by these very opponents to whom he's pronouncing these woes. Jesus is going to be the submissive, self-sacrificing lamb who lays down his life for the sheep. The Bible says in Hebrews 12, mentioning verse 51, the blood of Abel. Have you ever considered that verse in Hebrews? It says the cross of Jesus speaks better than the blood of Abel. We're to make a connection between the blood shed by Abel and all the prophets and the blood shed by Zechariah to to who? The, The blood shed by Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is connecting himself to all the prophets. And listen to what this says. The prophets whose blood was shed when? Before the foundation of the world. Doesn't that remind us that there is a verse that says that Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. God is putting all this together. And we're hearing the the, the one story, the one story that matters most, the main plot line of the Bible. And this is where we have to take people. The main plot line of the Bible is coming out in these woes that Jesus pronounces to the Pharisees. He's going to call us to be self-sacrificing. But first, he's going to pay the ultimate sacrifice because greater love is no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Then last of all, Jesus is the Lord of knowledge. He's the Lord of knowledge. And where in the world do we get this? Look at verse 52. Woe to you lawyers, you've taken away the key of knowledge. Am I the only one who spends a lot of time looking for my keys? <laughs> Man, keys matter, don't they? Access, openness to things that are important. Cars and houses. Safety deposit boxes, whatever. And the lawyers had the keys to the kingdom. They had the key to knowledge of God of themselves, of salvation, and it was in the law. It was in the Old Testament. But rather than using the law appropriately to open the door of salvation so that people could come to know Christ and be saved by Christ, they took the key and they threw it away. They stole the key. If I'm looking for my keys and I find out that somebody hid my keys, (laughs) how cruel. (laughs) That's not funny. The law was given to the lawyers to send them running to Christ. Jesus is the key to the kingdom. Not only did he say he is the key, he, he's the door. He is the very door. And listen to what they were doing. They stole the key, didn't use the key appropriately, but used it to badger people and burden people. They themselves didn't enter God's kingdom because they refused to repent and believe. And not only that, but they hindered other people from coming into the kingdom. Jesus? Oh, he is the key. He's the key to knowledge of God. He's the key to knowledge about God. He opens the door to the kingdom 
with his life, with his love. He places us into a right relationship with God as our Heavenly Father. He is the key and the lens to understand the whole of the Bible. He is the key to, He is the light, right? And He is the knowledge that we need. They had the key to knowledge, and they didn't enter in themselves, and they hindered those who entered. So, so what does Jesus tell Peter and the church? I've given you the keys to what? To the kingdom. And what's that? It's the good news. It's the good news of the gospel. It's the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's the key. That is the key to knowledge and all knowledge. Jesus demands this knowledge and he creates and gives this knowledge, this light, to all who trust in him. Well, how does it happen? According to verse 53 and 54, there should be ominous music playing in the background of our heads because we know where 53 and 54 are going. He pronounces these woes on the Pharisees. He's the contrasting blessing. But according to 53 and 54, what's going to happen? Man, they're revving up their plot to kill him. They're in, rather than deal with their own issues, they're, they're, want, they're wanting to find more fault in Jesus. Do we know where this thing's headed? Of course we know where this thing's headed. It's headed to the cross. They hate the light. They hate his judgment. And what they're going to do is they're going to kill the light. Sometimes you're trying to sleep. Cut out that light. And they wanted to be left to themselves. And they literally cut the light. The Lord of justice is treated cruelly like a criminal. The Lord of love is hated and brutally tortured. The Lord of humility is mocked by the proud. The Lord of freedom is bound and taken away. The Lord of sacrifice is killed sacrificially upon a cross. The Lord of knowledge is regarded as a fool and a curse and a loser. Jesus becomes disregarded. Jesus becomes concealed in a tomb. Jesus was weighed down with burdens, oppressed by the law and our sin and God's judgment. His blood is going to be shed. He's going to be charged with blasphemy. He is going to be taken away and hindered. All the woes that are in this, He took for us. Amazing love, how can it be that you, my God, would die for me? But the key to this text is that all of this was in the wisdom of God. God, in His wisdom, worked it out. And God, through his wisdom, saved us by love through Christ. And this is what will happen. Every blessing that I mentioned Jesus was, he will do that in us. That's why Durrell read the Beatitudes this morning. We become a blessing. We become just. We become loving. We become humble. We become free. We become sacrificial. And we begin to share knowledge that if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. And can a Pharisee be saved? Are Pharisees hopeless? No. I can think of one Pharisee who became what verse 41 is talking about. Remember Nicodemus? Nick at night? 
It's very interesting that this Pharisee came to Jesus in the middle of the night for light. At the end of Jesus' life, at the burial, it is said that Nicodemus spent so much of his own money on the burial of Jesus that it is counted and considered the amount is so radical, it's so extravagant that Nicodemus was giving Jesus a royal burial. God, through love and light, transformed a Pharisee into someone who, at the end of the story, gave freely everything that he had for the honor and glory of Jesus. And that's why I believe, in verse 41, Nicodemus was one Pharisee who gave everything from within his charity, and everything for him became clean. He was forgiven, he was sealed, and he was the Pharisee that shows that there's good news for Pharisees like you and me, and that good news is Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace, your mercy, your love. The good news that we find that what we are all by nature under these woes, but what a blessing Jesus is. Oh, he's just... He's loving, he's humble, he's sacrificial, he's freeing. And in him, in him is the key to all knowledge of who you are, who we are, and how we can be saved by trusting in the good news of Jesus. Father, make us blessings also in a world full of darkness and hurt and pain. Help us to be, rather than a woe, to be a blessing. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand and sing. Our hymn of invitation, Fairest Lord Jesus. Amen to that. You come as we sing.
close the family of God. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Join heirs with Jesus as we travel this side. For I'm part of the family, the family of God. Y'all have a great week.